Welcome back to Extra Credit, a TransUnion podcast where we like to talk about market insights and a little less about our products. I'm Josh Turnbull. I'm joined with my co-host Craig LeChapelle, and today we are excited to have Satyan Merchant with us, who is the head of the auto line of business here at TransUnion. Satyan manages a team that's responsible for um, not only our auto business, but more importantly, engaging with customers, understanding what's happening in the auto finance industry, sharing our perspective with the market. And so today we wanted to have him on to explore that perspective, which we think will be of interest to our listeners. Some of you we know uh, deal with auto loans on a day-to-day basis, and, and some of you don't. And we think that um, in the conversations we've had with Satyan leading up to this, uh, we're excited in that there'll be a little bit of something for, for everyone in the conversation today. But before we get into it, as is the tradition here on Extra Credit, uh, we are going to let our listeners understand a little bit about our guest uh, and, and their background and history by way of uh, an introduction and, and our tradition, some trivia questions. So, Craig, I will turn it over to you for that. Sure. First, before I uh, torture Sachin gently with trivia, Sachin, is there anything you want the audience or listeners to know about your background, anything you think would be pertinent before we get into it? Um, not really. I think a lot of it will come out during our conversation today. I'm, uh, first of all, I just want to thank you, Josh and Craig, for for inviting me to be on the podcast. I'm an avid listener. I subscribe and follow. Um, and I've been waiting for the invitation. So this is very exciting for me. Um, and Josh, as you said, a um, lot of the listeners probably have some familiarity with auto, if not directly involved in, in the industry. And so um, I'm excited to talk more about it. Thanks for coming on. All right, Sajin, you ready for trivia? I as ready as I'll ever be, guys. All right, so as an alumnus of the great University of Virginia, we are going to test your knowledge of the university. Okay. So buckle up. So when was the university founded? 1819. All right. Sorry, Craig, you didn't even have to get to the multiple choice. I, yeah, I know. Sorry, I've got a cheat sheet over here with one of my um, pieces of paper on the wall. But probably just have to look at like <laughs> one of those T-shirts, you know, found yeah, in right. 1819. You know, I was going to do the whole Thomas Jefferson thing, but um, but in any event, let's get to the the next one. And I will provide multiple choice uh, answers or options okay. for I'll you. Probably need them for the rest of the questions. Okay. So I'll let you the cornerstone of the university's first building was laid in 1817. Which former or future president was not in attendance at the event? A, Thomas Jefferson. B, James Madison. C, John Adams. D, James Monroe. I am going to go with, I believe the only one of those which isn't a Virginian, John Adams. Ding, ding, ding. Excellent. I would not have gotten that one. Well done. All right. Which of the following people or persons is not considered among UVA alumni? It's not counted, excuse me, among UVA alumni. A, George O'Keefe. B, Edgar Allan Poe. C, Glenn Close. D, Tina Fey. All right. Um, I think we're good with Tina Fey, one of the more famous contemporary Virginia alums, but I think Edgar Allan Poe has a close history with Virginia, although there that could be a bit of the trick question. I'm not sure if he actually, you know, graduated or finished there, but I'm gonna say he's he's considered. So leaves me with a couple. I'm gonna go with Glenn Close. Ding ding ding. Well done. Nice. Wow, awesome. 
who was recently inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame who went to UVA? Chris Long, Tiki Barber, Rondi Barber, or Heath Miller? Uh, four, four really good players, but it was Rondé Barber. Uh, great story in terms of um, just how hard of a worker it was, which I think is an epic that I hope many Virginia grads have picked up. Well said. All right, now, now let's get down to, to business while you're here. First question is, what do you love about working in the auto and lending industry every day? Sure. So, you know, I think when I think about this, I, I say like, I would just kind of start it when you look at the largest industries in the world. I think two of, depending on what list you look at it, you know, to the top five or top 10 are financial services and automotive, two giant industries in their own right. And the intersection of that is auto finance or auto lending. So I think to start with, you know, it's an industry that's large. It impacts people around the world, certainly in the United States. Uh, and it's one that's dynamic and ever evolving. Um, and so it's an industry in which uh, I am constantly learning. I'm learning from our customers. I'm learning from the folks at TransUnion with whom I work. I'm learning from other industry experts, our partners. Um, and I love that there's sort of two sides of it when you when you talk about auto. Um, I think about it, there's a very objective and quantitative side, especially on the finance and banking and lending side, which is things like underwriting, risk, risk modeling, um, using sophisticated data assets and so on and so forth. Again, objective, that left side of the brain part. And then there's the, or maybe that's the right side, I don't even know. But then the other side of the brain is, it's the emotional part of vehicles and automobiles. And, you know, for many people, it is the first biggest or maybe the biggest purchase in their lifetime um, in some cases. And it's something people just simply get emotional about. And, you know, they have a tie to a brand or a tie to a vehicle. It's something a lot of people as kids just grow up desiring and wanting. And, and I'll be totally honest, like I, I never really was an auto or a car person until I got into this industry. And, and I can't help myself now being excited about the different models um, of vehicles that are launched, the different brands that electric vehicles, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, it's just an exciting place to be. Um, and then the other part here, Craig, is I, I am actually very excited about more micro, just the company of the role that I'm in. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of, of who I am and what I do. You know, Josh, you mentioned it, but you know, TransUnion Auto is the business that I lead. And, and we're in the midst of our own transformation uh, and really evolution as, you know, who we are and what we do in the industry. Our recent acquisition of Newstar at TransUnion really brought along quite a few capabilities in the auto space. And now I'm so excited and challenged in terms of what I have to do leading the business of serving the entire ecosystem from dealers to lenders to manufacturers with all sorts of solutions to solve problems when it comes to marketing or risk or communications. So it's it's really kind of invigorated us at TransUnion, um, some of our recent acquisitions and, and the strategic moves we've made. Um, and so I sort of have been challenged to to come to work every day and work with our partners and, and our customers. And I just feel privileged to be able to figure out how are we going to solve more and more of these evolving problems in the industry. I'm curious for your perspective on a question to start. Many of our listeners um, don't intersect with auto financing at all, kind of in, in the day to day. And so for, for folks who've been, you know, for the last three years, really focused on credit cards or on other types of consumer lending and navigating through some weird times that we've been going through. Um, but what's changed kind of relative to where we are today? And, and where do you think the market's headed? Um, so, you know, there are a lot of 
things going on pertaining to auto and auto finance that that are catching headlines these days. Um, you know, I think even in the, the mass media, let alone the business journals, you'll see almost every day something about auto. So there are a few I'll touch on um, specific to, to auto finance. One is um, around the vehicle inventory um, and vehicle pricing um, side of things, right? So since COVID, uh, since the COVID time about three years ago, the landscape of vehicle inventory on both new and used vehicles have has really been rocked and, and very, very dynamic over the last couple of years. I mean, it used to really be a predictable market in terms of how many vehicles the manufacturers would collect, collectively produce and then put into the market in the United States. Um, and then that there's sort of a predictable pattern of when a new vehicle ends up being a used vehicle or the term we use is remarketed into the used population. And so it was, it was highly predictable, um, pre COVID. So thing most have heard again in the general media about the, the supply chain challenges and the shortages. And so that's led to, you know, I think as we all learned in econ 101 and professor Elzinga's class, Craig, um, you know, when supply is low prices go up and that's what's exactly happened with vehicles in the last few years. And there's an impact there on financing and really at the end of the day, what a consumer cares about, which is their monthly payment. And so, um, that's sort of one kind of key, key action or key activity that's going on in the industry supply chain challenges, um, that are reflecting in affordability challenges for consumers and lenders have a big role to play at the end of the day in terms of determining the monthly payment, because the price of the vehicle is just one lever, right? The the term of the loan, the APR of the loan. There are a lot of things related to the financing that help drive what the monthly payment is going to be. So that's number one. Um, I'd say kind of related to that, and I just mentioned it is, you know, the good news with the the vehicle affordability, or sorry, the vehicle availability of the inventory is like that had been the story largely in 21 and certainly in 2022 when we hit all-time high prices for used vehicles. Actually, the, the picture is getting better here in 2023, and especially the manufacturers are starting to produce more vehicles. But right as you know, we swung off of that branch of challenges, the, the second big headline here is now um, the interest rate environment. And so that's not unique to auto. That's all lending and banking, obviously, but that's a major, major impact here. And we're seeing APRs higher than kind of record, like in the last 20 or 30 years. I mean, just recently we reported that the average uh, APR in a used vehicle loan, a new, uh, a, a newly originated used vehicle loan is around 12%. And so again, that's a big um, aspect where it does affect different lenders. And um, we're seeing sort of the third piece here I'll touch on is major share shifts. Again, in a, a market that was steady and predictable when it comes to to share what type of lending institution is participating in auto, you know, there's four, there's typically four ones that we look at. There's banks, credit unions, captive lenders. And these are the lenders that are um, associated with the manufacturer, like Ford Motor Credit or America, America, American Honda Credit. Um, and then the fourth one is an independent finance organization or independent lender. And again, historically, it was very predictable what market share and how much you know space the credit unions were going to take in the market, how much the banks were. It's all over the place now. And again, back to some of those um, those those more uh, exogenous factors in the industry has created all sorts of shifts. Last year, credit unions took uh, almost a third share of the market. Now, I expect here for some of that to swing back, um, swing back to other places. And so again, that that's sort of a fairly dynamic 
market for one that's been around forever. Um, and, and there's implications for all lenders in terms of um, their cost of capital and their ability to, and, and willingness to participate in the market right now, given all the conditions. No, that makes sense. And, and I want to come back to some of the financial things in a the second in terms of payment and supply and demand. But um, you also touched on some environmental factors. And I, I bought my last car about two years ago and um, the Mr. Coffee had been upgraded to a Keurig at the dealership, but otherwise, you know, it's, it's still kind of the dot matrix printer, the, you know, press hard to, to sign here. And just, it feels like um, honestly, not that much has changed since I was going with my parents to the dealership, you know, and, and going through the process. And um, maybe that's not the case everywhere. And there are certainly some interesting models. But when is that process going to fully change? Uh, particularly, I think some of our listeners are in the indirect auto space, right? And, and very much are um, have a model built around that, what I would call legacy process or, or um, dominant process. And, and what does that mean for me if, if I'm in that boat? Yeah, great, great question, Josh. Because you know some of those those factors have led to, I think, a long overdue move in the way that um, that auto retailing works here in the United States, right? So we were we were in a period again, largely last year and, and back into 2021, when vehicle inventory didn't exist, and so dealerships did not have the luxury of saying. Hey Josh, come in. I'm not really going to give you much information. Just come, come down to the dealership, have some of the stale coffee and the donut from six hours ago, and pick one of the cars that are on my lot. Right. So, um, I think that the retail experience is is absolutely changing. Um, and this is an area, as I mentioned before, like TransUnion and my team were really kind of leaning into. I'll say this, right, for auto lenders. There's a lot of talk out there on, again, the, there's new vehicles, there's EVs, but the financing part of the process of purchasing a vehicle is 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 super critical. Like almost more than two thirds of vehicles are financed, right? And so that part has to be part of this transformation. Now, I don't, I don't personally see that we are going to go to a world, we did for literally two months in, in spring of 2020, where everything had to be done remotely or digitally. Um, and as you as you mentioned, Josh, right, many dealers weren't even equipped to do like a, a digital signature, right? So there was a short period of time when there was this move to full digital because we had no other choice, but kind of quickly reverted back to okay, dealership, the doors are open, and I think that was reflective of the fact that at the end of the day, for something so emotional as I as I mentioned earlier in the in the conversation, people at the end of the day they want to touch and feel and smell that that vehicle. But at the same time, through COVID, that was an accelerant of consumers wanting the experience they want, right? They want to shop for the car where they want, when they want, and how they want. And a lot of that is the digital experience. And so what does that mean, right? What does that mean is we're seeing some elements of that in some of the more technology forward um, dealerships, lenders, and, and then of course, some of the new entrants, the startups, particularly the EV startups. What do I mean by that? Um, so I'll give you an example of Tesla. Tesla does not have the traditional franchise dealership model. In fact, they have, I think they call them showrooms or delivery centers. And you really actually purchase the vehicle fully online. Um, but the thing is all the all the kinks are not ironed out. So in that process, which I actually went through, um, I I purchased a vehicle and I uh, arranged, I pre-arranged financing through a credit union. It was actually a great experience that the, 
this credit union in particular had a relatively digital experience where I kind of got through the whole application online. I didn't, they actually don't have a branch anywhere close to where I live. So I, I had no choice but to do it online. Um, and they sent me a cashier's check for the amount that I needed to finance. Where the whole thing broke down is, again, one of these manufacturers that went has gone fully touchless, digital, et cetera, et cetera, was not prepared to take a, you know, yeah, a, a large cashier's check. Like there was literally nobody to, for me to hand it to, yep. right? There was a technician who didn't know what to do with a very big check right, or some size check, didn't really want to touch it. So I think to me, that was illustrative of it's a transition. And I think the right experience is going to be one that accommodates both the shopping online, especially getting prepared to purchase the vehicle online. We actually did some research um, and we've also re relied on some research that Google and others have done on the consumer buying journey in automotive. And what we found is that knowing the how much can I afford question and knowing how much you can afford and how much you're willing to pay on a monthly basis is getting um, pulled way up in the funnel. It's no longer what you described, Josh, which is go to the dealership, wait around, drink some bad coffee, finally pick out a car. And at the very end, when everyone's exhausted, sit down in an office with dim lights and figure out what your loan's going to be. Consumers want to know before they even walk in, what can they afford and maybe who they're getting their financing from. So lenders, especially the more technology forward ones, are the ones that are doing things like pre-qualifying, -qual pre um, doing some digital um, uh, verification ahead of time, partnering with um, players that can provide inventory online. I think some dealerships are doing, um, you know, building and pre-qualification into their online experience. But I think a lot of the key, and this is where some of what I talked about before, is stitching it all together and serving the whole ecosystem with some of our new tools is like around um, the online, like making it a seamless online to offline experience. Again, I think the offline is going to remain for a long, long time. And for most consumers to make such a big purchase, they want to be there in person. But what they don't want is you do all that fun, that really cool, innovative pre-qualification and knowing what your monthly payment is going to be and even pick out your vehicle ahead of time. And then you walk into the dealership and they don't know who you are. And they're like, welcome, Josh, have some coffee, right? You're like, I already did all the work. Right. Okay, I just want to make this as painless as possible. And I'm fully caffeinated. And yeah, and I'm yeah. fully caffeinated and, and I had my pour over. I don't need the Mr. Coffee, right? So <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think that's where we're headed. That's a lot of the challenges in the industry to, to really get there, right? Um, to get to that point. I, I think another thing is going to be that the consumer is going to push the industry to get there, you know, like it or not. Um, I, I do want to mention that like um, we just did a transition. We, we just released our consumer pulse survey. And I thought this was interesting that um, younger consumers, Generation Z, they just, in the survey, 50% said they plan to be credit active in the next 12 months. Doesn't mean auto specifically, but it's either auto, mortgage, or a card. Um, but whatever that number is, it's it's up from 40% a year ago, or about 41% a year ago. So like, it's really telling me that there is a younger generation, a generation that grew up on Netflix and Amazon and all of these digital, really good digital experiences that are now going to be credit active, shopping for things like vehicles. And, you know, I, I engage with young people and, and they just don't have the patience for a bad experience. And so, um, hopefully again, we're, we're there with some of these lenders and dealers, hopefully that their, this experience is changing. I think the, the, the market is going to force it one way or another. 
No, that's I, I, I agree. And um, Craig and I, some of the, the insights that we've been sharing with credit card lenders, it's it's over a third of the balances now that are Gen Z and millennials, and that's certainly where the balance growth is. And so it's a similar conversation there that you know if you've got if you've got processes and products that are you know appealing to to baby boomers, that's fantastic. But that's that's not where the growth is coming from, and that's not kind of the you know the next generation of consumers certainly. Um, you mentioned some of the research thoughts, you know, and I want to go back to some of the the more uh, quantitative and and uh, finance focused points you were making earlier. But on that research point, um, if anyone's listening to this and, and you've not had a chance to engage with TransUnion and the the auto team, encourage you to do that because I always learn. Um, you know, when when I sit down with your folks, um, I appreciate it. I learn what's going on in the industry. And recently, one of the things that someone on your team was walking me through were the trends relative what what's paid for a car relative to msrp and how we're i forget exactly where we are but i asked a question about well, what was this historically and the answer is kind of like well i'm not really sure actually what the answer to this was long term because it's never something we really tracked because no one ever paid above msrp before the pandemic so yeah I, i'm curious as you you think about valuations kind of kind of coming back down to to orbit um as you think about the economic currents like what's the future hold in terms of of the value of vehicles the supply of vehicles and then then you know the reason we're having this conversation what does that mean from a, a credit standpoint hey on on that point you know this is what i heard that, now i'll i'll blame the radio dj if i got this wrong but he was on a rock station was reporting a recent release from cox automotive now, you said valuations or rationalized are coming down, but what he said is the average new car cost is like roughly 45 grand. The uh, average used car cost is 29, and there's a grand total of one car on the market, new car that's under 20,000 to buy, which is shocking to me. Think yeah, no. kind of the different Mitsubishi something or yeah. Mirage. Yeah. The Mitsubishi yeah. Mirage. That's right. There's one vehicle that's. That's you know MSRP under twenty grand. Uh, it's just crazy to think about. But and then, uh, Craig, what you just replayed um, from Cox is, is 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 generally right. You know, we speaking to research, uh, we recently partnered with JD Power to to research this exact question. You know, the the problem statement was what is the impact of vehicle uh, valuations on the auto portfolio, the auto finance industry. I'll share a few highlights, and perhaps we can post a link in the show notes with a link to the research. I've always wanted to say, yeah, we're going to post a link in the show notes. So this was my opportunity. Um, we better figure out how to make it happen. Yeah, we better figure out. We better create some show notes. Anyway, so first, let's talk about um, uh, vehicle sales and valuations, right? And so we talked about that at the outset a little bit. Um, to your point, Craig, uh, it, in in the micro, in the narrow time frame, vehicle values, um, and when we talk valuation, it's talking about a used vehicle value, right? So um, JD Power and others out there have valuation services. So used vehicle values have come down in the last couple months, last few months, um, since early 2023. But it's JD Power had a great slide, which was they indexed vehicle values from like you know, many years ago, pre-COVID until today. And so if they set the index at 100 from their starting point, again, many years ago, peaked at around 220 in late last year. So that means more than 2.2 times was the, the the vehicle value than what was normal, right? And now it's down to like 206, right? So it's still way above, but off the peaks. Um, that's a good sign in terms of 
So the, the decrease in vehicle valuation is a good sign for consumers. Again, like they're paying a little bit less per transaction. Actually, this month we reported the, for the first time in a long time, rather this quarter, the average amount financed on a used vehicle transaction went down year over year. So again, the peak was about Q3 or Q2 of last year, and it's a little bit down from there. But to your point, Craig, it's still in high 20,000s, a lot, a lot for a used vehicle, right? Um, so, you know, that's the good, that's a good thing, right? Um, the other thing that JD Power said is that um, they believe that what, what affects that uh, new vehicle price, uh, number one, Josh, what is, okay, first of all, let's not, but finally, we're not back back to, we're not at above MSRP for new vehicle price transactions. Like finally have gotten back to the point where people are not really paying that much more, if at all, over MSRP. But really what's missing in the industry and we'll slowly get there according to JD Power is the return of the incentive programs, right? So, I mean, it was, it used to be close to 10% of the MSRP was kind of the average incentive. If $40,000 vehicle, you would assume you'd get four grand back in cash back offers or whatever it is. Right now, the incentive is in the low single digit percentage. So there's some room to go in terms of bringing those those prices down. So what does all this mean for auto lenders? So number one, on the originations front, it's a sign that the affordability again is, is getting better, at least on the vehicle price. But again, the offsetting side of that is as soon as these prices are coming down, the interest rates are going up. So it's still challenging. And I think keeping a lid on just how many vehicles are getting sold today. I mean, we're even hearing in some manufacturers, there's actually stockpiles of inventory. Like they can't sell enough of their cars. A year ago, they couldn't get any cars. Now they can't sell them. And I think a lot of that has to do with the interest rates. And so, but at least um, there are cars to lend against and they're being purchased at more reasonable prices than they were a year ago. And that speaks to the performance part. So, you know, we and many others report um, on a quarterly basis, delinquency. Um, we have reported that the delinquency rate in auto loans um, most recently is um, about it's over 1.7% in the overall portfolio. That's higher than pre-pandemic. That's even higher than the great, great financial crisis. But this research we did with JD Power, what we really wanted to look at is like where where are the pockets of risk and and, and delinquency even in the auto portfolio? And and you know the highlight here is that. Um, when you start to drill down and you get into late 2021 and early 2022 and you get into used vehicles below prime from a risk tier, those are the vehicles where a consumer, tying in your, your comment here, um, Craig, about the $20,000 vehicle, at that moment in time, the, like, forget about a new vehicle being under 20000 There were not even used vehicles available under 20000 And in some cases, right, I said this earlier, a vehicle is the lifeblood of the economy, man. Like everyone needs a vehicle or at least transportation to get around. And so there are some consumers that were probably stretched to buy a vehicle more than that it um, they typically would cost for, say, a seven or eight year old sedan. And it was at a moment, if we think back to 21, um, late 21 and early 22, when consumers still had a bit of liquidity from either stimulus or if nothing else, like it, inflation hadn't really um, gone rampant, right? So you had a consumer in late 21 who probably stretched a bit to buy a vehicle. They did get a good interest rate, but they still purchased more than they wanted to spend. And then for the last year and a half or so, um, inflation has gone up. Uh, maybe there's been a bit of challenge on the employment front. Um, certainly any excess liquidity they have might be might have dis dissipated out of their wallet. Um, and so that's where some of the risk is. 
The other side of the story, though, is that when we looked at the broad auto loan portfolio, um, the, the absolute converse exists for any loan that was originated pretty much prior to 2021. And so what I mean by that is people were purchasing vehicles in 20 and, and prior to that at, quote, normal prices. And I think we've all heard the stories of some people's vehicles are worth more than what they paid for. And that is really valuable for an auto lender in terms of the equity position of the loans in their book. So I think there's a lot, there can be a lot of confidence from an auto lender when they look at their broad portfolio and they say, we've got, you know, the majority of our portfolio is vehicles pre-2021 originations. Um, and the LTV loan to value position is less than 100, meaning there's positive equity in the vehicle. Likely the consumer is going to care about keeping that car. They don't want to lose it. They certainly don't want to use it, lose it, because if they have to replace it, they have to replace it at a higher price today. Um, so I think there's some comfort in that the majority of uh, vehicles in the loan portfolio in the United States are in a strong equity position. And I think the last piece here is that um, people are hanging on to their vehicles longer, I think in many cases, because vehicles are just better built and they last longer. And so if a, if a lender has a performing auto loan on a vehicle that has a positive equity position, I think, you know, the consumer's probably going to hang on to that car as long as it works, right? Um, well, I mean, it, I, I think the same thing's happening in the in auto that's probably, that's happening in the mortgage space where the rates are so high, no one wants to sell their current house. Same yep. thing probably with auto. I'm going to keep my car an extra two years. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think what, what the only challenge I'm seeing on that front is like getting, uh, maintenance and, and just labor like mechanics are harder to come by or more expensive and so again i think some consumers are the thing about auto is like it's a there's a product and a segment and a not only the vehicle the metal but also the the financing there's so exciting because like there's somebody to to fit the need at at all parts of it what it's a new vehicle a used vehicle expensive less expensive prime subprime near prime like everywhere in the market there's a match being made. And so there's so many business models within auto finance to serve all the different parts of the market. So Satin, you know, to conclude, I really like to ask you a question about the differences in the different spaces that you work, because before you were leading the auto vertical, you were deep in the mortgage lending world. So now that you've had a decent amount of experience in both, what are some differences that you, between the two that you were surprised by or and or what similarities do you see between the two? Yeah. So, you know, as I said at the outset, um, I do get excited about these industries that you can touch and feel and have kind of a major impact on the lives of people. I think housing and transportation are two of those. Um, I, I, I have been passionate and, and I still keep an eye on housing and I talk to our leader over there, Joe, all the time about what's going on in the mortgage industry. Um, you know, I think that the obvious similarity is that there, there's a, both of them have a secured asset when it comes to lending, right? A vehicle or a home. Um, and I think that what's cool about that is it, it adds another, you know, another ingredient to the cauldron of lending stew is what I'll call it, which is the asset side of the equation. So, you know, in my time at TransUnion, when I worked on the mortgage side, a lot of the work I did was to to work with data partners who had insights on the property. At TransUnion, we're a consumer credit bureau. We're not experts in the property or the the, the hard asset, right? 
but we find partners in the industry. And I thought it was really exciting to work and really learn about um, just you know home valuation data, um, home assessment, and just home even the the data is really cool. And like a lot of the work I did was use that and combine it with the stuff that we have at TransUnion um, to create new products and models and scores and all sorts of things. And I think that's cool. I think the same thing exists in auto. And so that's a similarity where, um, you know, again, we have some really great partners, S&P Global Mobility with vehicle registration data. I mentioned JD Power earlier, right? And so we kind of really get to swim in the data quite a bit and come up with, you know, how do we combine these two things? And, you know, S&P has some cool stuff like predictor models of they can, you know, they know that there might be a, you know, a, a, uh, a Honda Odyssey in your garage. So they can actually predict what else is in your garage based on knowing one thing. And then how do you combine that? What, you know, a lender might want to know some, like combine that with some of the information about the consumer. So I think that that's, that's one similarity is just kind of having all sorts of data to work with. Um, another one is, um, the fact we talked about this earlier that both I think the home lending and the auto lending industry are, are still in the digital revolution, like in process of making that, that, that evolution. I think there was space that, you know, Craig, you and, and, and Josh both work in when it comes to card and banking and payments, probably further along in that certainly the FinTech world is way, way along and started in the digital space. And so, um, you guys are probably in your industry and customers are more on the cutting edge, but I, I kind of like being in these, in these segments where they're still working on it. And there's still a lot of startups out there that we partner with and work with to, you know, kind of, you know, try to figure out how to make uh, the digital transformation. I think that one of the big differences, and, and again, I, I started off with a lot of passion in auto, and this is, this is a big one for me, is see the mortgage industry in the United States is still largely kind of is government backed in terms of many of the mortgages that get underwritten um, through the GSEs and, and the other programs out there. And so there's a lot of uniformity in terms of the risk management and the and the decisioning. Um, auto is totally different. I just touched on it, right? Like there's there is a supplier of credit for every single pocket of the market, and that leads to lots and lots of different business models, risk strategies, marketing strategies. Um, and we and I get like this is a big learning for me at TransUnion. I, I kind of spent many years into you not working with some of the data and products we have, like some of the alternative data assets. Now that's heavily consumed in the auto space. Is they're constantly seeking these auto lenders, the the most innovative and the kind of the most out there data set. Um, and so for me, it's like I kind of stumbled into that side of it, and I like it because it allows me to stay on the forefront of. Um, the credit underwriting industry and working with our partners uh, on our product side on finding those data assets. And I'd say that it's the type of thing where I'll just kind of wrap this part up by saying I stumbled upon it here in auto, right? I was asked to move over to auto. Again, I wasn't an auto a car guy before, um, but every almost everyone I've met in the auto industry has the same story. They accidentally got into it. Somebody pushed them over there. But nobody seems to leave. And there's just something about this industry where like, you know, the octopus tentacles get you and you're stuck. But uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of really interesting reasons to be in this industry. And, and I enjoy it quite a bit. Oh, that's a great overview. I want to very much thank you for helping us wrap up another great uh, extra credit podcast episode. 
This has been fantastic, Satyan. And again, I think for anyone out there who's not had a chance to engage with with you or the team, uh, this is just a, a sampling of the insights that that uh, are brought to the table. So, uh, always appreciate it. Very good. It was great to be on. Thanks for taking it easy on me, Craig, with the trivia. <laughs> hey, that's and, uh, all right. And I, that's all right. I much enjoyed the conversation, guys. No, this Thanks, was, Satyan. 